0: Welcome to We Fight For That from the Public Interest Advocacy Center. My name is John Lawford, and I'm the Executive Director and General Counsel at PIAC. If you want lower cell phone bills, if you want a refund from a flight you couldn't take, or if you want to be treated better by your bank, we fight for that. Time for another round of consumer protection. Hello and welcome to PIAC's first edition of We Fight For That. On today's show, topics are What is PIAC? Because you may not know us. And so the first show is a good time to tell you what we're all about. The second is What's it like to be a consumer in Canada at this time? And am I going crazy? The third thing is normally our segment with a guest, but today I have no guest and that's just me. So I'll be interviewing myself on something PIAC's been doing that's in the news. And lastly, we'll do our we told you so segment, where we compare what happened in our work, in our world with what we said should have happened and see the results. So hopefully this will be a format we keep going forward and that it's uh, it's entertaining for you. So let's kick right off. Some people may have heard of the CRTC, the Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Commission. You might've heard of the Canadian Transportation Agency. You might have heard of the Ontario Energy Board. These are all places where PIAC works. There are places where consumers have important issues resolved, but maybe you haven't heard of those. So much less likely you've heard of the Public Interest Advocacy Centre. As the name suggests, we work for the public and in the public interest. And while there's many opinions on what the Public Interest actually is. We do our best to try to represent it in front of those regulatory bodies that I started off the podcast with. So it's a very technical and dry sounding kind of area, but actually holds a world of promise for making your life better. Effectively, what we do at PIAC is we go to these regulatory boards and try to represent the broadest public interest that we can. That means Usually lower rates for services that you pay for every day, such as your energy, telecommunications like cell phone, internet, home phone, or how much you pay and where you can go on airlines and how much you might have to pay for your bank and banking fees. Most of those things happen at the federal government level. And so for the most part, PIAC does not really get involved in more local matters. For example, if you have a dispute with your gym over your gym membership fees or you have a contractual problem with a contractor or smaller matters with sale of goods, these sorts of things, they're all very important, but it's not an area that we have the capacity to touch. So we're a small office and we have been doing this work for now 40 2 years at PIAC since 1970s and I've been the executive director at the Public Interest Advocacy Center since 2012 but I've been with PIAC since 2003 and in the last couple of years we've had some financial difficulties but we've made it through and we're now hopefully on the other side but we need supporters and we need listeners like you to be interested in our work and perhaps Donate to us. We're a registered charity and a national nonprofit. And you'll find all that information about donating to us on our webpage. The second topic I have for today is what's up with consumer protection, especially in the time of COVID. I think people think, what's wrong with me? I must be going crazy. It seems to be getting worse and worse in general. But in consumer protection, we certainly sense from the people that get a hold of us that they are completely frustrated and completely bewildered by problems they have in the areas we work in and other areas, but especially calls like I've signed up for this internet service and suddenly my price went up and I don't know why, or I booked a vacation and the airline canceled it and is now only offering a voucher instead of an actual refund when they probably knew that there was a risk that I wouldn't be able to take my vacation. So why did they sell it to me in the first place? These are the sorts of problems that bewilder people. And it's not so much that they can't understand the issue. It's that when they try to resolve it, they get nowhere. And uh, that issue in Canada has not been traditionally looked after by any one part of the government. And so there are various places to try to fix certain problems. It's a very fragmented world, if you will, of consumer protection, especially for those big services I mentioned at the top. So we've got in Canada, a special regulator for telecommunications, which is your cell phone and internet. We've got a special regulator for transportation. We've got a special regulator for energy. We've got special regulators for banking. And none of them in particular is set up as a consumer protection agency. They are all regulators of the entire industry for business purposes, for government purposes, and oh, a little bit of consumer protection on the side. So a large part of our mission has been over the years to try to force our way into these, I guess I'll call them bounded rationality regulated areas, and just burst open the doors and say, there's actual people on the other end paying the bills for these services. And most of our work does actually focus on telecommunications. People coming to try to get resolution in particular cases, therefore will find in Canada that they hit a brick wall of, as I said, an agency with a long name, like I said at the top, Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission. First, you have to find out that's who looks after this sector. They will... If you try to get a hold of them, you'll find, first of all, that it's hard to find out where to call there. The first thing that'll happen when you call CRTC is they'll try to push you off to another body, which I'll get into later. Even if you stick out your uh, complaint and continue to hector them until they actually answer you, they will either tell you that something is already going on at CRTC in a big hearing and you can comment if you're lucky or they'll say you can always file a complaint with the crtc and there's no simple easy way to do that so that's where we get involved because trying to translate from a regular everyday consumer problem into a regulatory sort of lawyery approach that this institution takes it just doesn't translate and so we're there to be the oil between the two elements that will stop it from squeaking, if you will. The other problem you have is if you come to the CRC with your issue, you're one person against a large telco or in other bodies, say against your hydro company. And it's not enough to move a major industry regulator to do something. And unfortunately, strength only comes in numbers. So you need to consolidate all of the complaints that are similar to yours and bring those to the to the body and then say something needs to be done. On the other side, of course, is the companies that are still controlled by these government regulators, including in telecommunications, Bell Canada, Rogers, TELUS, many smaller ones, more regional ones, such as Quebec or which is Videotron in Quebec or uh, SaskTel in Saskatchewan, Eastlink out east in uh, Maritimes, that sort of thing. Those companies have many, many lawyers and regulatory departments that specifically spend all of their time in these regulators like CRTC answering consumer complaints, but most of the time actually jousting between each other to try to um, get rules that they like so they can conduct the business the way they wish. And consumer protection or consumer rights is always an afterthought. So what you need to have is someone in the CRTC that's representing your rights and your public and consumer interest against lawyers on the other side that have a motivation to ignore them. And so we're there to try to make a fuss and say what the consumer interest is. Another source of frustration for consumers and why they feel they're getting nowhere is a split between... As I said, what people pay for in their lives that they think is similar, but again, they get shunted to these various areas. So you might think that a dispute you're having with your bank is very similar to a dispute you're having with a retailer or that your fight with your furnace service company is similar to getting money back from an airline. Unfortunately, our country like many others, but even more so is split up between various government levels. And so the second barrier consumers face besides the fact that they're facing a a strong, well-lawyered up industry and regulators who are dealing with larger questions, if you will, is the difference between going to the federal government and provincial governments. And as I said, there are different bodies that look after consumers. And now there's two different levels of government involved. So that often trips people up as well, where they go to their company and then they complain to their member of parliament federally. And it's something that's regulated provincially, such as energy, or they go from being mad at their installer of something in their home. And they, they go to the provincial MP and it turns out it's something federal like internet service. So, unwinding all of that jurisdictional, going to the right place, the right time, often defeats consumers as well, where they don't know where to present themselves. So, we untangle that as well, both which place to go and at what level. And uh, there are fights between the two levels of government over many areas of consumer protection, notably recently, privacy law and previously banking, insurance. These are areas that are somewhat shared between the provinces and the federal government. Unfortunately, when, when they're fighting over who's in charge and passing laws to try to um, overlap each other, sometimes consumer protection gets lost in that mix too. The last concern that we have with consumer protection on a big scale in Canada is getting your money back. And as much as there may be rules or places to go and complain once you find them. And maybe you're lucky enough to have a group like ours representing interests like yours. It doesn't mean that you will get your money back if you've had a problem with a company. I'll give you an example. If you have had an overcharge for internet service, where someone came to your door and promised you say a package at $120 for internet, home TV, and telephone, and after about six months, you notice the price goes up to double that, you may look into complaining to CRTC. Once you find them, they will send you back to a group called the Commission for Complaints for Telecom Television Services, another long, long name, which really means the Telecom Ombudsman, That is actually set up to try to help consumers resolve their telecommunications complaints without having to go to CRTC. It's something we fought for. It generally works, but there's no guarantee you're going to get your money back if you go to the CCTS, which is the, the Ombudsman. Why? Because they are going to tell you that the rules allow companies with internet service to offer promotions as long as the promotion had in the fine print the time period that your introductory price went to and if you didn't read the fine print that the price will go up after month six there's nothing that this ombudsman can do for you so you will essentially be told yes you have a problem yes here's a body that can help you and can help you get your money back you go there and they won't give you your money back there's that problem there's also the problem that in some sectors there's not even a chance to ask for your money back you're going to be told that either there's no consumer remedy at all or you have to go to court to try to actually get resolution even if that resolution is as simple as like i said a voucher or your money back or anything at all and there are Many instances where the only real remedy that you're going to get is on a systemic level so that others in the future don't have an overcharge like you did, but you won't necessarily get your own money back unless you go to small claims court. And even there, you're going to have many more problems with understanding the process, filing the fees to do your small claims court action. The company will send an actual lawyer down there and you'll be on your own. And you may not be able to counter the lawyers' arguments because they will have done this to many other consumers. A very frustrating situation and one that's not been addressed in a holistic way by either level of government. So the federal government does not have an overall consumer ombudsman or a consumer ministry. It does not have a federal trade commission like in the United States where... Overall trade is supposed to be fair to the consumer. There's no fair contracting act at the federal level. In the provinces, for the things I've spoken about that might be provincially regulated, like, say, a gym membership, there are consumer protection rules, but they tend to be mostly about process. Um, In Ontario, for example, you'll have the right with your gym membership to cancel at any time, You'll have the right to a written contract, but that's about it. If that covers your situation, you're all right. But again, in terms of if there's a dispute and you claim that you are owed money back from months that you shouldn't have paid, you'll end up in small claims court because there's no other rules particularly to help you. Leaves a pretty bleak picture overall, but that's the environment that we're working in right now. And PIAC has attempted to address consumer problems for many years by focusing on the first aspect, which is working for the public interest in a great big sense, trying to spot problems early to suggest to the regulator, say, of telecommunications that there should be a rule regarding, for example, overage fees or roaming fees We did that with roaming fees for cell phones when people were getting $1,000 bills, when they traveled to the United States or Mexico or overseas. They were not adequately informed of the potential costs and ran up huge bills and then couldn't pay them and had all sorts of fights with their telcos. We noticed that problem early, so did many other people around the world, and we went to CRTC to try to get rules to stop it. And eventually, after some work... We did manage to do that, and there was a cap put on those roaming fees of $100. But that took approximately five or six years of fighting and working the regulator. And in the meantime, many people did get large bills for roaming. In some cases, were able to call the telco and get that knocked down, but oftentimes paid even a tenth of those bills sometimes was still so large that it was uh, shocking That's not fair and that's why we're here to fight for you to try to move that forward. But we've found that, as I said, working in the regulatory boards has become limiting and now PIAC wants to work more towards structural change, getting a federal and provincial level, if you will, one-stop shop for consumers to have their complaints resolved to get them actual money back and to have actual binding rules that cover real consumer problems rather than just giving you notice of how problems are going to arise or a copy of your contract, which isn't uh, isn't something that people tend to pour over uh, with a fine-tooth comb. So that's our new approach. And we've been looking to have outreach to consumers. And this podcast is part of that. We'll hopefully be having guests on that feel the same way and have practical solutions to how we can do this but we're going to need your help in terms of common action and writing your mp your mpp asking for these major changes because if we don't have a root and branch change then there's really there's really no point in us doing what we do at the end of the day and consumers will continue to be frustrated so that's where we're at And I want to turn now to what I would normally do, which is turn to my guest and introduce the guest and say, uh, what are you working on that gets us a little closer to our mission? Today, I'll have to turn to myself, but in future podcasts, it'll be an esteemed guest. Today, we're going to talk about one of the areas I didn't mention so much before, which is privacy. And in particular, uh, it's COVID related and has to do with the apps that the governments have been asking people to download to try to reduce the spread. So PIAC has filed with CRTC a couple of complaints now about the way COVID Alert operates and in Alberta, the AB Trace Together program app for your smartphone. And this has not been to try to discourage people from using it, but rather to make sure that all of the potential privacy leaks are plugged. And we're well aware of the importance of public health and trying to make sure people don't get sick. And as I said, we're trying to, if you will, plug up all the gaps so that folks won't use this and then find out later that their personal information has been stored by the government or used for another purpose. And because we work in the in the CRTC, and we work on cell phone issues and internet issues, we noticed that there was a potential problem with the apps, which wouldn't be obvious, I think, to the average person, but makes sense in retrospect. So I'll just break down what we said. You've heard from the prime minister that it's something that you can download and um, it will totally protect your privacy. Uh, You can set it and forget it, as I think he said fairly famously. It doesn't exchange any personal information and it's all anonymous codes. And only if you get sick will you then be asked if you wish to share that information anonymously again with anyone else you might have been in contact with because it will speed up notifying them and maybe they'll get tested and the contact tracers will eventually reach them, the the real people, calling them on the phone. But in the meantime, they could have got a head start on it. The concept is important. It's I think based on the science, we agree that it could help because COVID passes before you even know that you've become ill in many cases. You may be asymptomatic or um, pre-symptomatic. So if there's an extra day that people can get noticed, they may have been in contact with a case, the app will help. We believe as well that it doesn't require 60% of people to download the app, that every person that does add it probably would increase the chances of this sort of electronic pre-notification. Where it becomes a problem is not so much in what's been set up between the phones that are exchanging codes via Bluetooth. They are anonymous. They do use a protocol that would be almost impossible to trace back to you as an individual. The problem comes when you have to upload the fact that you're ill and when i say the word upload i mean when you've been diagnosed with covid you will be asked by your provincial health people if you wish to report that through the application so that others can be notified and it's up to you but i would imagine most people would feel the social pressure to help out and that's a good thing The trouble is when you do that inside the application, you say, please um, report my positive status. The application has to send the information over the internet. And that's where we get into the people who give you cell phone service or internet service at home and the telecommunications service providers. The code that you're sending is going somewhere. It's going to a central server at the federal government in Health Canada And uh, it's not quite clear, but apparently the Health Canada server will then send that information to other phones that your anonymous identifier has been positive and therefore other people can see if they've been exposed. So far, so good. But when you send the code from your phone up to the Health Canada server, it goes through a telecommunication service provider. It has to go by the Internet. It doesn't get there by wave of a magic wand. And when telecommunication service providers connect to you, or you connect to them, you get an internet protocol address or an IP address. I think most people have heard of that. It's basically a location on the internet where your device connected to this internet service provider, let's say Bell Canada, if you're on Ontario or Quebec, and there's a 12-digit number that is um, most people are familiar with. That's your IP address, your internet service provider will note down which subscriber has been assigned that ip address during which times and that information ip address is kept in a separate log by the internet service provider but you've got to realize now health canada has an ip address associated with the positive code that you uploaded and they keep it in logs I think they keep it in logs actually on Amazon Web Services, which they have a contract with, but it doesn't matter. They keep that for three months. Now, the part that is the disconnect where the government's saying, now there's no risk of identification. And where we have said, yes, there is, is if you combine the two databases, if you will, one of the IP addresses that the internet service provider has of when subscribers are online and who gets what IP number, and then the IP addresses that the Health Canada server has, they can be matched. They can be matched. And that's the part I think that most people wouldn't think about. It's like a search and seizure. It's very like when the police are trying to find when someone's doing something illegal on the internet, which IP address belongs to which subscriber. And The Supreme Court of Canada in a couple of cases has said that to get that information normally because people expect to use the internet generally without revealing their IP address the government must get a warrant and so that's the default except there are some exceptions for public safety and public order but they're limited and the keeper of those exceptions, if you will, is actually the CRTC. And that's something that that I don't think most people would know, but it affects you greatly because that's where decisions get made about what your internet service provider can give to the government. So our application says, if you have used the IP address inside this COVID app, That the CRTC should set up a test so if the government comes knocking to try to match your positive IP address, and they don't know it's you right now, but they go to internet service providers and say, so on this date, at this time, which one of you companies had this IP address assigned and to whom? We want there to be a very stringent test for why are you asking for that? what will you do with the information please give notice to the subscriber you're trying to identify so that they can object and we filed that complaint yesterday which was the 9th of september and today we're recording on the 10th Uh, and we'll see if the crtc takes it up to try to devise a test that both lets the government get this in extreme cases if it's absolutely necessary under the constitution or if they are going to try to dodge the issue and i i normally wouldn't say that a regulator would dodge an issue that's important but we already raised this on the 4th of may in slightly less exact terms because we hadn't seen the federal app yet it was still being written we said this is likely to happen do you want to look at it and crtc said uh, actually in early no middle august that they weren't going to and then the um the app, of course, came out at the end of July and people started using it. Now, I believe there's over 2 million users of COVID Alert in Canada and uh, a few hundred thousand of the AB Trace Together app in Alberta. So there we have it. We have tried to put a speed bump between the government just walking down the hall from Health Canada to uh, ask the telecommunication service provider that might have your IP address to identify you. Do I think that will happen? Not generally. Has the government said they don't intend to do such things? Sort of. They've said they don't intend to use it that way, but there's nothing stopping them. And that that's our job, really, is to look out for the public interest where there may be an opportunity for sometimes companies, sometimes the government, to abuse the public trust. And the abuse here would be where they're saying, we'll only use it for health purposes, but... They may want to dig in and find out who you really are for either public health purposes or other public safety purposes. Who knows? But they've made us all feel that our personal information will be kept completely private by saying things like the app is anonymous and can't, you know, there's no personal information involved and so on. And CRTC is the right place to go because, as I said, that's a linkage that most people wouldn't think about. And they are the keeper, if you will, of of your IP address and the anonymity. So that's been filed. And I I will have another guest on our next podcast to talk about issues with these apps from a uh, discrimination point of view against certain groups and hopefully another guest to talk more about the technical aspects. And then we'll move to other subjects, but that's our first issue. That's the kind of thing PIAC works on. And if you're interested in that kind of work, I invite you firstly to look at our webpage, piac.ca and look at our first news story. And that gives you the links to our application on uh, COVID alert and um, also a uh, press release. And uh, yeah, as I said, if this sort of work interests you, please follow this issue. Follow PIAC. We have a newsletter. Follow us on Twitter at Canada PIAC. And think about supporting us on Canada helps. There's a link on our homepage for our charity work because we are a charity. So that's our issue. I'm going to move to our next segment now, which is the fun one. And I would do it normally after thanking my guests. So I don't need to thank myself. This is called told you so. And told you so can be both against others and against ourselves. So we'll hopefully take our licks when we deserve it. But I've got a fun one today because told you so CRTC. This is a cell phone issue that some of our listeners might unfortunately have suffered themselves but it's called SIM swap fraud where a fraudster will get information about you that's enough to trick a new cell phone provider into porting your phone number from your present cell phone provider to this new provider and the fraudster will then have Control of your phone, which gives them access to your emails. They'll reset all your passwords for your banking and your other financial services and then steal your money. There should be no way that this could happen because the companies should verify your identity before taking something as important as your phone number and moving it from one cell phone company to another. But they don't always do that. And Many of the fraudsters have figured out that getting some publicly available personal information from the Internet and then talking to an agent is often the easiest way to, you know, cajole them into revealing other personal information that they then use to call back and convince a new representative of the non-fact that they are you and then to take over your account if I've explained it properly Point being, this issue arose in the last year or so. There were a number of complaints starting to bubble around the Internet, and the CRTC did receive complaints directly from consumers. In January, they asked the companies to do something about it, which was a bit of an odd move. Normally, they would have a public hearing on changes to something as important as the system for transferring your number from one telecom carrier to another. Because it's important. If you can't change from one company to another, competition doesn't work. And if the consumer wants to switch, normally you're very anxious to have your phone number switch from your old provider to your new one in as short a time as possible. So there's that problem. And then there's this fraud problem. Normally that would cause the CRTC that's a public body and they're supposed to do things transparently to have a hearing about this they didn't they went straight to the industry and said what are you guys doing about this we've heard complaints and uh, we got a wind of this at PIAC and said why aren't you holding a public hearing normally you know you would and we as consumer representatives and public interest representatives want to say what is important to consumers, which is both that they want a quick porting from one company to the other for competitive reasons. And secondly, they want a safe porting so that no one gets defrauded. And gee, you can do both. So don't cut corners off on either end and have people either not being able to change their number or continue to be defrauded. And uh, to the credit actually of the government, there were hearings held in Parliament on this issue, and besides PIAC were other groups that came and told their story, in particular, one brave victim called Randall Baron chong who has a group of victims who have had this problem, and he's tried to push this issue forward, so shout out to Randall. The federal government did have these committee hearings in, in the House of Commons to try to deal with this issue, because they saw the CRC wasn't doing anything, and since that time, since um, March, it was the last hearing actually before all the committee rooms shut down after COVID. The CRTC has since tried to cajole the industry into trying a new process reporting that is supposedly privacy protective and quick and gets rid of fraud. And the whole thing collapsed They left it in the hands of the wireless providers themselves and their industry association to agree amongst themselves. And they tried to put something in and some liked it, some didn't, some rushed it, some didn't. Some agreed on to whom to send new notifications and others didn't. Some said it was anti-competitive, a total, complete and utter mess, just as we said would be because what's the only way to do things properly do it transparently openly and with the public involved it would have been a deliberate process we would have had our group there randall's group there we would have had consumer input that just said whoa whoa whoa, guys whatever you do do it properly and make sure that consumers are protected and none of this would have happened so hey CRTC, told you so And guess what? It wasn't just me that told you so. It's also the federal government committee from the House of Commons recommended that you guys hold a notice of consultation. So please do, because obviously if you leave just the companies and the regulator up to it, it's a mess. So told you so. So thanks. That's our show for today. And if you have any feedback, we'd love to have it. You can send feedback to PIAC, which is P-I-A-C at P-I-A-C dot C-A. So PIAC at PIAC dot C-A and just put podcast in the title and we'll pick it up. And I want to thank all of our listeners for listening. And if you're listening now, you're a first listener. So thank you for being a pioneer. And I'll join you again in a week's time with a fabulous guest and talk a bit more about COVID and other consumer problems. So thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of We Fight For That. The Public Interest Advocacy Centre needs your help to keep making this show and to keep fighting for you. I'm John Lawford. See you next time for another round of Consumer Protection.